0: welcome thanks bill i won't hold it too much against you that you forgot my name we are going to be looking at acts 11 today so go ahead and turn in your bibles or look on the screen behind us as we read acts 11 thank you walt for the water my throat is really dry so that's really helpful So we're continuing in our sermon series in the book of Acts in Acts 11, and we're looking at the result of the amazing things that happened at Caesarea when God called Peter to go there and preach the gospel to Cornelius, the Roman centurion and his whole household, and Gentiles believed in the gospel and the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. And this had direct implications for the life of the church, and we see that in Acts 11. Let's read the word of the Lord, Acts 11, beginning in verse 1. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order I was in the city of Joppa, praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending. behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house, and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household." As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us in order to encourage and strengthen us in our walks. We pray that you would speak to us now, Holy Spirit, whatever it is that we might need to hear. Speak through your word this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The story, Les Mis, is a beautiful picture of grace and transformation. It follows Jean Valjean, a person in prison for stealing bread. The story begins as he is released from prison. And as he's released, the constable Javert meets him as he's leaving. In the musical version, which I won't sing, don't worry, Javert sings to him, now prisoner 24601, your time is up and your parole's begun. You know what that means. Valjean replies, yes, it means I'm free. No, follow to the letter your itinerary. This badge of shame, you shall know until you die. It warns you're a dangerous man. The constable Javert saw Valjean and defined him by his crimes, by what he had done. His shame and his sin was all that he could see. Valjean begins his parole. He travels from town to town, but he's an outcast, refused work, refused hospitality. He comes to a town where the bishop shows him kindness. The bishop welcomes him to his warm house, gives him a bed to sleep in, food to eat, treats him as a human. Valjean repays that kindness by stealing... The bishop's silver. But he's caught by the guards, and the bishop graciously forgives him, and in fact gives him the silver candlesticks that he left on the table. And the bishop commends him to God and blesses him as a brother. Later, as Valjean is reflecting on this, he sings, yet why did I allow that man to touch my soul and teach me love? He treated me like any other. He gave me trust. He called me brother. My life, he claims, for God above. The bishop saw Valjean as a man. Doesn't say this, but a man created in God's image, worthy of love, respect, kindness. These are two diametrically opposite views of people. We have the view of Javert, who only identifies Valjean as a criminal, a sinner, who is beyond redemption forever, and will be forever marked by his shame. The bishop, who sees Valjean as a human, worthy of love, worthy of befriending and showing kindness to. This two opposite views is pointing to a sinful human tendency, and that's our tendency to create groups, groups which exclude others. We want to define people by their pasts. We want to define people by their sins. We want to define people by the wrong types of things. And so God created humanity to exist in harmonious relationships, But now we have rebelled against God and we've sinned against him and the result is that we make groups and exclude others. We view people based on their sinful past and identify them by that, rather than by the fact that they are created in God's image and they can be saved by Jesus Christ and become new creations. This sinful human tendency is also in our passage. This sinful human tendency to view people with discrimination. And verse one, It tells us how all the Christians throughout Judea heard the wonderful news of Gentiles believing in the gospel. However, this was not a reason for some to rejoice. In verse 2, we see that the circumcision party questioned and challenged Peter about these events. They said, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. This criticism of Peter is remarkably similar to the criticism that Jesus often received of eating with sinners. These early Christians' heart, it was was mostly in the right place. They wanted to rightly define who belonged to God's people. And for the longest time throughout Old Testament history, people were marked as being part of the people of God by their practices, keeping the right diet, practicing the law, keeping the Sabbath. But it was no longer that way. God had made a way to enter the people of God by merely faith in Jesus Christ. That was who belonged to the people of God now and they needed to change their ways. We, as modern Christians, also do this. We want to define who is welcome in the walls of the church. We want to define who can be part of the people of God. And when people who make us uncomfortable are welcomed in, we don't like that. Kent Hughes, an author writing on this passage says, in Christ there is no basis for discrimination of any kind. Prejudice or elitism on the lips of a believer is an obscenity whether it is be racial, national, cultural, or social. We could add to Kent Hughes' quote by saying discrimination based on age, political affiliation, economic level, job type. Any discrimination in the church of God is an obscenity. When Peter hears the challenge of the circumcision party, he recounts the wonderful events that happened at Cornelius' household. And then he concludes in verse 17 with the question, if then God gave them the same gift as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in the way of God? He says if God is moving these people's hearts, if God is working and pouring out the Holy Spirit on them just as he did to us, how can I stand in God's way? And when they hear this, of course, they remain silent. They can't respond to that. If God is working, who are we to stand in the way? They glorify God in verse 18. And they say, then to Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. That's the first part of our passage. In the second part of our passage, we see the expansion of the church around the world in a new area, in Antioch. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. 500,000 people at this time. It was a huge amalgamation of different pagan cultures. There's a large Jewish population there as well, and so it was a huge melting pot. God would use this great city to take the gospel to the rest of the Mediterranean Gentile world, and he would use the church that is started in our passage. Luke has intentionally connected 1119, what happens in Antioch, with what happened in Acts 8, where the persecution of the church started right after Stephen's martyrdom. He says in verse 19 that people who were dispersed out after the persecution went to Antioch. We again see how the rippling effects of persecution are used by God in amazing ways months and even years after the fact. In verse 19, we see that some of those persecuted and dispersed traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. And in verse 21, we see that the hand of the Lord is with them and many people believe. They were excited. The salvation had been made possible in Jesus Christ and everywhere they went, they told people about it so that they could believe also. But in verse 19 and 20, there's an intentional contrast. In verse 19, we read how the people, the Christians spoke the word to no one except Jews. But in verse 20, we read that some of them in Antioch Spoke to the Hellenists also. Who are these Hellenists? The word Hellenist here is used intentionally to contrast with Jews. Luke is using it to say that these Christians, when they came to Antioch, they spoke the gospel to Gentiles. Non Jews is what is meant here. And this was revolutionary. It was completely unexpected. Everywhere that Christians had gone before in the Mediterranean world Cyprus, Phoenicia, they had spoken the gospel to only Jews. But here in Antioch, they revolutionarily spoke the gospel to Gentiles, and they believed. Before the, and why was this revolutionary? You see, before the coming of the long-awaited Savior, Jesus, the Jewish people were distinct from the surrounding cultures and religions by their unique religious practices. A special diet, keeping the law, circumcision, Sabbath-keeping, and festival-keeping. This set them apart. And these practices, they were never meant to keep Gentiles away. They were never meant to keep them out. Rather, the hope talked about in the Old Testament was that the surrounding cultures would see the unique life of God's people, and they would be attracted. They would want to know this God, this Yahweh, this Lord. But these practices developed in the hearts of sinful humanity into an us versus them mentality. And that's why the Jewish people of Jesus' day viewed Gentiles as unclean, as people to be avoided, as people to not be allowed into fellowship. But the amazing, wonderful truth is that God, as they praise him in verse 18, has granted repentance that leads to life for all people, to everyone we see that later in Galatians, as Paul, who was very instrumental in bringing the gospel to the Gentile world, reflected in Galatians 3. He says, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise God desires a diverse church community because salvation is for everyone who repents and believes. So that was a long introduction, but we're gonna dive in now, and the big idea we're gonna explore is that God has made repentance unto life available to all, and so we should cultivate a diverse church community. God has made repentance unto life available to all, so we should cultivate a diverse church community. And by diverse here, I mean diverse in background, diverse in experience, diverse in socioeconomic level, diverse in race, diverse in age, diverse in education, diverse in every possible way imaginable. We should cultivate that. We should value that. And we see in our passage four ways that God does this through the early church they welcomed, they ate, they proclaimed, and they praised. Let's dive in, welcome. This part of how to cultivate a diverse community is implicit in our passage. If God has provided salvation for all, then he welcomes them, all. He welcomes all if they have faith in Jesus. And if we are his people, we also will invite and welcome all into God's community, regardless of their background, if they've believed in Jesus Christ. In fact, we will actively pursue to include people from many different backgrounds because we will want everyone To believe in Jesus Christ, just as those early Christians who went to Antioch wanted them. In verse 18 and to 20, we see two examples of non-Jewish people being welcomed into the community. After hearing Peter's recounting of the story, the listening people praise God for including the Gentiles. As Jewish believers go to Antioch, they welcome in those Gentiles who hear the gospel and believe. Now this happened and it's summarized very quickly in a couple of verses, but it was not a quick or easy process. It took long, long years, difficult working together. As we will see later when we get there in Acts 15, the Jerusalem council was the culmination of many of years of effort of saying, how can we two completely different peoples live together in God's community? The whole book of Galatians was written because these two people were having trouble existing in one church community. God wanted it to happen, but it took time and effort. It was difficult. Central to cultivating a diverse community is a desire to welcome others. The church of Corinth was a very diverse church, both in background and experiences, as well as race and many other things. And in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul writes to them and talks about all these different sinful practices and behaviors where if you practice those actively, you are not part of the kingdom of God. But then in verse 11, 1 Corinthians six eleven, he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul tells the Corinthians, some of you practiced these sinful things before, by which if you practiced them actively, you were excluded from the kingdom of God but you are no longer defined by that anymore. You are welcomed because you are washed and cleansed in Jesus Christ. So as we actively cultivate a diverse community, we will seek to welcome others in because they've believed in Jesus Christ. When I lived in China as a missionary, I was on a college campus, and I would often meet with students and as I befriended them and talked about Christianity with them, they were so excited to meet me, despite me looking completely different than them, despite my Chinese being very poor and maybe their English not being that great. they were so excited to have me be their friends, their friend and they would often invite me over to their parents home and When I went there, I was the guest of honor. I was seated at the front of the table, I was given the best food to eat I was given the best drink, and I was welcomed and honored. Because despite my different background, despite my different upbringing, despite the language differences, they were delighted that I was there. They welcomed me. And typically, by welcoming me, they would make these amazing Chinese dishes, some things that I've never eaten before that day, and I've never eaten since. And it was very exciting and welcoming. But I remember one young man who, he didn't invite me to his parents' home, but he said, I'm going to take you to a great meal on uh, when I met him on the college campus. And I'm like, okay, great. And we went and we went to McDonald's. <laughs> uh, and I was like, uh, what are we doing here, buddy? And he said, uh, I, I just want you to be able to eat something that reminds you of your home. And it was very sweet, and I didn't wanna disabuse him that I didn't really like McDonald's. I was more excited to try all the different Chinese food. But his heart was to welcome me and make me feel at home. And that's the type of heart we should have. We shouldn't base our welcoming people on whether they have the same background, whether they look the same, whether they have the same experiences as us. You see, the Jewish people viewed Gentiles as unclean. Do we view other people as unclean? Who is it that we don't think should be here at EP Church? Who is it that we don't think should be welcomed into the people of God? We may not actively think that, but subconsciously we might have prejudices and discriminations that exclude people somebody who struggles with drug addiction and just can't seem to get over it, or alcoholism, actively practicing homosexuals, people who have too many piercings or too many p- tattoos for our comfort, people who dress, don't dress a certain way, who consistently don't dress nicely when they come here on Sunday morning. Do we welcome them? Here in Annapolis, there's a, a huge divide between people's economic levels. Is EP a place where somebody who is very poor can come and feel welcomed? Of course, we would say yes, but by the things we do together, the way we spend time together, can they be included if they can't go out to eat every week with us when we fellowship after church? Are we welcoming people? Me and my family, we live in Cape St. Clair. We moved there in the summer of 2019 when I started working here. And when we moved there, we were so excited to meet all of our neighbors and develop relationships with them and share the gospel with them and just live with them. And one of our neighbors, who unfortunately has since moved away, who lived directly across from us, she lived in the house with her two daughters and her wife. She was a practicing lesbian and was not shy at all about that. And we befriended her and got to know her. And our kids very quickly were aware that they differed with us in their outlook and their way of life. Noel would talk about their other mother. They had their mom and then their other mother. And so, how do we approach that type of situation? Do we shrink back in fear? Do we say, we're just going to avoid these people? Of course, there's that temptation. But we wanted to treat our kids, and we wanted to instill in ourselves the fact that these people, these, these two women and their daughters, are people created in God's image, worthy of love and respect, and worthy of sharing the gospel with. So, we didn't do it perfectly, but we tried through how we spoke and how we interacted with them to show that. But too often we as Christians, we shrink back from those who are different than us because we're afraid that their point of view will impact us or impact our kids. But we need to trust the Lord, and we need to reach out to those who are vastly different than us in love. Annapolis City is 53% white, 20% black, and 20% Hispanic. The most recent census data, that's the most recent census data, Does our church look like that? Do we reflect Annapolis? No, we don't. And our church will never look identical to Annapolis. That is going to be impossible, honestly. But are we intentionally becoming a place that will welcome others who will come from a different background? Are we intentionally doing that? That's what I'm talking about. Now, how do we cultivate a community that welcomes all without also unintentionally making excuses for sin? We do this by showing forth the wonderful message of the gospel. The gospel message that places value on each individual created in God's image and emphasizes that because we have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, we desperately need salvation. But then also proclaims that once you have believed, you leave your old life and live a new life that pursues God. We proclaim this gospel again and again. But that's the third point. The second point, we eat together. The second way that God cultivates a diverse community in Acts 11 is they ate together. In verse 2-3, as Peter saw God working, he spent time with these Gentiles. He lived in their homes for days, in fact, eating with them, fellowshipping with them, teaching them. We could use eat together here to indicate fellowship and hospitality. In most cultures, eating is one of the most intimate, important activities you can do with other people. As Christians, we should be eating together. We should fellowship. We should extend hospitality to one another in the church and those without. That was one of the big issues that prompted the writing of Galatians. Jew and Gentile were having trouble fellowshipping together, and so Paul needed to address that. There are many other biblical examples of a command to show hospitality. In Hebrews 10, the writer says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day is drawing near. In Romans 12, Paul, writing about the genuine marks of the Christian faith, says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. This word hospitality in the original language was literally a combining of two words, love, stranger, love of stranger is what hospitality is. As we seek to cultivate a diverse community, we should actively seek to fellowship with others, regardless of their different perspectives, their different backgrounds. In fact, we should actively seek to have hospitality with those who are different than us. Because of my background, my time in Korea, my time ministering at a Korean church, I've grown to appreciate many things that the Korean church does. And one thing that they do consistently is they have fellowship meals after every single worship service. They have a meal where you gather together as a church body. If you're a visitor, you're warmly welcomed and you're sat down at a place of honor with the pastor or some other leaders and you're welcomed in. And they do this consistently because fellowship is important. Every Korean church I've been to does this. Even a giant church of 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 members does this because fellowship, hospitality, eating together is important. It's how we cultivate deeper relationships. As God's people dwelling together in community, let us pursue hospitality with one another. Let us cultivate a love of one another by eating together. Coming out of COVID, we are going to have many, many more opportunities in the very near future to do this. So I encourage you, have a picnic, have a barbecue. Hang out after church here in our area. We have space. Spend time with one another. I encourage you to find someone here at EP that you recognize and you have seen for a long time, but you don't know their name, you don't know their story, you don't know their background, and go say, hey, I know this is awkward, I'm sorry, I don't know your name, but I want to know you. Can we go get lunch? Can we hang out here in the field afterwards? But hospitality, eating with one another, is not just for those whom you like or you feel comfortable with, or who could bring you some type of benefit. No, hospitality is for everyone, especially strangers. Author Jeremy Barr's writing on this says, Jesus tells us that it is not enough. This by itself is not true hospitality. Our homes are not to be open and our tables are not to be prepared only for those who we already love or just for those who are part of our social circle or for those in whose social circle we desire to move. Rather, we are also to be hospitable to those who are in need to those who have no possibility of paying us back. We are to show hospitality to strangers, to non-Christians. As those who are called by God's name and have been placed here in Annapolis, we are to seek the renewal of Annapolis by loving strangers. Think of your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, those who might not know Jesus. Are you intentionally extending gracious, generous, abundant hospitality to them? Please consider who is God placing on your heart now that you need to reach out to and develop a deeper relationship with by consistently giving hospitality to them, even if they give you nothing back in return. The third way that God cultivates a deeper, diverse community here is by proclaiming the gospel. In chapter 10, which we're not going to go back and look at, Peter spent many days with Cornelius and his household, teaching them about the gospel, proclaiming the gospel, and teaching them about the Christian life. In Acts 11, we see that as the Jewish Gentile church in Antioch developed, Barnabas came alongside them and proclaimed the gospel to them and taught them about the Christian life. In verse 23 of our chapter, Barnabas exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He taught them, he proclaimed the gospel more. In verse 25 and 26, we saw that he went and got Saul and he brought Saul back to Antioch. And we read that for a whole year, They met with the church and taught a great many people. They consistently again and again proclaimed the gospel and taught them about the Christian life. The gospel is both for those who already have faith in Christ and for those who have not yet believed. Christians grow by applying the gospel to their lives and living in greater freedom by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the gospel is for everyone, even if you've been a Christian since a young child. The gospel is important because it breaks down the artificial barriers that we erect as humans. Because it breaks down the barriers because we are all standing at the foot of the cross on level ground, because we are all sinners in desperate need of grace, in desperate need of forgiveness. None of us, none of us brings anything to Christ's table, but we are all sinning there by his grace. So proclaiming the gospel in in our churches to the world will develop a diverse community because barriers will be broken down as they become unimportant. We see that this twofold purpose of proclaiming the gospel to ourselves as Christians and to the world is reflected in the fact that Barnabas's teaching and proclamation of the gospel to believers resulted in verse 24 to a great many people being added to the Lord. When we as believers understand the gospel in deeper and more profound ways, we will be propelled out to the world to share the gospel with them, regardless of who of the people's backgrounds. So we cultivate a diverse community by proclaiming the gospel and learning more about the Christian life. As the biblical gospel and all its implications are proclaimed, it will act as a rich fertilizer, like on a garden that ex- provides explosive growth in our hearts, within our church communities, and outward as people believe by God's grace. Are we developing these type of relations here at EP that allow us to proclaim the gospel into each other's lives? We have a couple different avenues to do this. Renew groups, if you're not part of a renew group, I encourage you, get connected, get plugged in. Sometimes there's Sunday school classes as well. Get plugged in to where you can study God's word with other people and have the gospel spoken into your lives and people can pray for you. So reach out to Cheryl Mullis, check out the website to find out more. Another avenue is one-on-one discipleship. Every Christian at some point in their life should have somebody who can speak into their life as a mentor, discipling them, helping them to grow. Some of you are very mature in your faith and you should be seeking somebody out, saying, hey, I I wanna get to know you better. Could Could we meet regularly? And then you can be discipling them in what it means to be a Christian. I've benefited from that enormously throughout my life. Here at EP Church, we have started something recently in February where we as a church leadership, both men and women, are seeking to intentionally shepherd all of our members. And so many of you have probably received a phone call or a text message in the past month from the person who wants to shepherd you if you're a member. And what this is, is it's a person coming alongside you to consistently speak the gospel into your life and help you grow in your relationship with the Lord and pray for you actively. And we're doing this intentionally with our members because another important way to develop relationships here where we proclaim the gospel to each other is membership, a membership Relationship between a church and its members is a covenant relationship where we enter into an agreement that we will have a special relationship where we proclaim the gospel to you and you enter into a commitment with us and there are responsibilities and equal relationship where we grow together. So if you are not a member here at EP Church, I encourage you to become one. I encourage you to reach out to me. We're gonna have a Discover EP class after Easter where you can learn all about what being a member here at EP Church is. Now, if you take the class, you're not locked in, you're not committed, but it's a way to learn more and get plugged into relationships. The fourth way that we see God cultivate a deeper community, a diverse community, is through praise, praising God for what he's doing. In verse 18, after Peter explained what happened, the listening Jewish Christians praise God and glorify him for his salvation to Gentiles also. In verse 23, we see the same attitude in Barnabas as he arrives in Antioch. It says, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. This word glad could also possibly better be understood as rejoiced. He rejoiced when he saw what God was doing at Antioch where Jews and Gentiles had become Christians and were living together. Seeing other people come to know the Lord should cause us to overflow in joy and gladness. As we joyfully thank the Lord for other salvation, This will cultivate an appreciation for others based not on their credentials, not on their backgrounds, not on what they bring to the table, but rather on the fact that God has saved them and is working in their lives. We will have a joyful appreciation simply because the other person is a blood bought lamb of Jesus Christ, who Jesus died for and loves. And many of and as we praise the Lord for others these artificial barriers which humans have erected will become less and less important. In many of his letters, Paul constantly at the beginning of the letter gives thanks and praise to God for the believers he is writing to. Praise of something develops appreciation and fosters love. Maybe you have heard the C.S. Lewis quote where he says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. As we praise God, for the work he's doing in others, we will grow in our love and appreciation of them because we will see that God is at work and God values and loves them and then we will grow to value and love them. When someone sees the Grand Canyon or a beautiful painting or a moving song, we praise it to others because we want them to enjoy our appreciation of it. So we should be praising God for our fellow Christians regardless of our differences and then we will grow in appreciation and enjoyment and love of them. One way we can grow in praise and appreciation of others is by actively listening to their testimony, the story of how they became a Christian. Maybe there's somebody here at EP Church who you just don't see eye to eye with. You have a different political viewpoint than them, or you've had a disagreement about the way things should happen in the church. Have you heard their testimony? Have you heard the story of how God saved them and made them a new creation in Christ Jesus? I encourage you to think of that individual and go and speak to them and say, hey, I want to hear your story. I've got no other motive. I just want to hear how God's grace has worked in your life. Maybe you don't have a conflict with somebody, but there's an individual that you would just like to get to know better. Please do that. Find out how God has worked in their lives. Do we give thanks for the salvation God has provided to other believers? Do we rejoice over the fact that God is working in others for his kingdom? As we give thanks and praise God, we will grow in love and appreciation for all believers, regardless of our differences. In conclusion, in, our final, in the final verse of our passage, we read in Acts eleven twenty six 26, that in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. In other areas of the Roman Empire, this new community was viewed merely as a smaller sect of Jewish people. They weren't distinct They weren't different because they were Jews, in effect, just Jews that believed in this guy, Jesus. But here in Antioch, the mixing of a diverse community of people, Jews and Gentiles, was revolutionary because it had never happened before in the Roman world. And because this was revolutionary, because of this diverse community, they needed a new way to call these people. And so they coined the term Christian. The title Christian means literally those who belong to Christ, those who belong to Christ. Because we belong to Christ, we will joyfully proclaim the gospel to all those who live around us because God wants everyone to repent and believe. And as we proclaim that gospel to everyone around us, we will want to cultivate a diverse church community where everybody will be welcomed. This was what Christ did after all. Christ went to Pharisees, the sinners, the tax collectors, the average worker a fisherman. He wanted everybody from the whole diverse fabric of humanity to believe and follow him. And if we belong to Christ, we also will want everyone from the diverse fabric of humanity to believe in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us so that we might know how to live in this world We pray, Lord God, that as you have spoken to us through it, you may have touched our hearts in things that we need to live differently. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to know how we can reach out to others in love, proclaiming the gospel to them. And I pray that we here at EP Church might become a place where we can love one another despite our different backgrounds and perspectives so that we can be united in our one faith in Jesus Christ. Make us stronger because of our differences as we come together and encourage one another in our walks with the Lord. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.